eventually the questions you raise in your research have to be answered and those answers are called claims and theses we're zooming ahead with our paper writing series today on surviving seminary Welcome to Surviving Seminary, where we aim to give you practical advice for your seminary journey. I'm your host, Jason Stark, and with me is my co-host, Kevin Sutherland. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Jason. I I feel distant from you. <laughs> yeah, even more distant than when we had the recording table between us. Yes. Um, we are on Zoom today, and we are loving it. I, I'm kidding. We're not loving it. It's awkward, no, no. and, and um, we're eventually going to have our talk about all of our coronavirus woes and adaptations, including Kevin, why you are isolated, not just from me, but also from your family in quarantine right now, right? Yes. I am not sick, knock on wood, but uh, yeah, I, I'm currently quarantined away from my family. We'll get to all the ins and outs of that um, in a little bit, but we're going to jump into our discussion of the next step in the writing process, and that has to do with claims and theses. Kevin, why don't you open up? Yes, yeah, so we've been referencing the craft of research a lot, and I just wanted to read this uh opening quote from the part of the book where we talk about uh, arguments. And it says, in part two of this book, uh, we argued that real research involves more than just amassing information on a topic. We argued that it means developing solutions to problems you and your readers care about. Likewise, sharing the results of your research involves more than just giving your readers a, quote, a dump, end quote, that says, here are some facts about my topic. It means explaining your problem and justifying your solution in a research argument. Right. We're doing more than just writing a report. We are trying to bring our research to the point where we can actually contribute something from our own thoughts and what we think about this particular topic and what we're going to contribute to it. So a data dump is not what we want to present to anybody. So one of the terms that they use and that is helpful for us is the term claim. Um, and a claim is, like we said in the opener, an answer to uh, which we formulate through our research to our research question or problem that we identified. And so our main claim is also known as a thesis. But you can have many subclaims that need to be uh, bolstered by other data but which join together to bolster that thesis or that main claim. Right. So this is the thing. This is ultimately your thesis is your contribution to the scholarly conversation, uh, your thesis and the claims that kind of orbit around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so in a real sense, if someone can find your thesis statement and it's really well written, then they will know what your paper is about, or at least what you're trying to make your paper about. And the better that you write that, uh, the more focused and well-written your paper will be. This is like the single most common complaint that I've heard through my educational career is instructors complaining about uh, poorly written or non-existent thesis statements. So how do we end up there? How do we get to the point 
where we can kind of pivot from where we've been taking in information and learning all these different scholarly viewpoints on this topic and on this question to the point where we can synthesize our own claims concerning that topic and concerning that question. So one way this comes about is by doing your research. If you didn't already have a solution when you started the research, then maybe you've come across uh, a particular viewpoint or maybe a variation of a particular viewpoint that's convincing. Um, and the best theses obviously are going to have to be able to counteract other competing views. And so you have to get a solution that kind of gets that answer across or refutes some other point. And that's interesting that you mentioned that. Like, if you come across someone's viewpoint that you happen to think is really, um, really agreeable, really persuasive, and you start to find yourself aligning with that person, you still have to get to the point where your paper, theoretically here anyway, is supposed to have its own contribution. So when you get to a point where you really agree with someone's viewpoint, it's like, that can that can cause you to have to shift course even in that because you have to figure out a way for your own paper to be unique. What do you yeah. think about that? Can you speak to that at all? Well, there's a lot of ways that I could see if you agree with someone uh, that you could still make a contribution. Uh, one might be that maybe this persuasive argument uh, was written before some counter arguments. So maybe you're contribution would be to interact with those counter arguments and show that this original position is still a better position. Or maybe uh, you might come across some evidence that the original uh, author didn't take into account, but still supports that. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I would see as a good place to start a thesis uh, claim that contribute something new to the, the discussion. And another one that I think we already kind of mentioned in a previous episode where we talked about kind of combining viewpoints, uh, like one person's viewpoint on the one hand and like an, another person's method and kind of putting them together and looking at the question in a new light. That could be another way if you find yourself really aligning, say, for example, with a particular interpreter's view on something, that you can take it and spin it in a new direction and see whether or not that argument still holds up in light of the method that you're applying or see whether it starts to get compromised by the findings that you have in your in your own process. And as we mentioned as well, when you're trying to find that topic, uh, one of the resources you can go to is where they have a further research section where they say it would be helpful if we had research doing this or looking at this data over here. And so maybe that would be where you could go. Um, or if it's something that appeals to you and that you know will fit it, um, but they just didn't talk about it. So maybe like in our example, if we're talking about some kind of biblical, maybe theological theme, then maybe they didn't talk about this scripture passage over here 
and uh, you can use that to say this further supports and reinforces their their thinking on this. Or, you know, if you end up disagreeing, which we haven't talked about yet, then that would be a good place to start that uh, fight. Right. And so uh, no matter which way you go in terms of your research and how you find your space in the research conversation, ultimately you want to be able to get that, um, get your position whittled down to the place where you don't have to take like a convoluted path to explain it all. You want to be able to say succinctly, this is my, this is the topic that I'm studying and this is the position that I take on it because that is going to form kind of like the basis of your research paper. As someone is reading it, this is where they are going to, it's going to be their starting point. It's going to be the couple or three sentences that orients them to how they should be looking at this issue through your perspective and the work that you've done. Yeah. And so one thing would be to practice that and to think about what is my paper actually doing and how could I say this to someone that I'm meeting at a party, which we haven't had one of those in months now because of coronavirus. But, uh, you know, if you're meeting someone for the first time and they say, what are you working on right now? They don't want to hear a 10 minute exposition on what you're working on. They want something really short and sweet. And so making your thesis statement short, sweet, precise in wording uh, and explicit in your logic is key to a good thesis statement. And it also has to be, uh, it has to have some significance to it. It has to be something where, I mean, I suppose, you know, it could be more or less uh, significant in the grand scheme of things, especially in terms of where you are in your degree path and where you are on your journey as a growing and learning researcher. But ultimately, we want to be able to find research topics and problems and questions and ultimately claims that find significance in the conversation about that topic. Um, like, what are the things that you're challenging mm -hmm. uh, as you bring your thesis about? What are the presuppositions that your readers are likely going to have, for example, that maybe your thesis is going to call on them to change those presuppositions um, in order to accept that thesis? Because the more presuppositions that your readers will have to change in order to accept the thesis, then, then that's a pretty significant thing the more that they have to reorient their thoughts in in line with the claims that you're making. Obviously, it's going to be really significant to you if uh, the argument convinces you that you've been wrong about something that you've believed for like 10 years. So it's going to have a high amount of significance to you. Whereas if it's something you've never even thought of, unless the paper can show you why it's important that you should have thought of that, uh, it's just not going to be as significant to you. Like I can right now, I used to be able to read just about any theological article and find some significance into it. But I find sometimes that I have so specialized down in some areas that things just don't 
really register as important, whereas some other person might look at that paper and go, wow, this is going to change everything. So keeping your audience in mind, I think, is also really important for that significance piece. Yeah. And the um, audience also has to be kept in mind also when it comes to how you qualify your thesis and how you clarify it um, and how and how hard you drive on it. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Kevin? Yeah. So, I mean, one level of qualification by qualification, we don't mean are you qualified to say it, but how do you limit and uh, control how focused your paper is? So one level of qualification would be I'm only going to talk about maybe how this concept works in this specific context, uh, not all of the available contexts that it's in. But another thing would be to clarify that you're maybe not 100% sure about something, that this is just a possibility or a probability that you're raising rather than an absolute certainty that this is the way it is. Um, and so there's this there's this just right Goldilocks area that you have to be in between too much hedging where you look like you don't know what you're talking about and you're really unsure and too little where readers will have a hard time believing you because you seem arrogant. And the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. So uh, some of the smartest people out there are some of the most careful about what they say. Right. So as we are moving forward through this process of the writing of a research paper. And as we cover the idea of a thesis, we think it's important to keep in mind um, that once you have that thesis um, clear and, and, and mapped out that you want to have it in front of you and you want to be repeating it, frankly, in your mind a lot, um, mm -hmm. whether that is having it, pasted to the top of your um, document that you're writing on, you know, the, the thing that will ultimately become your research paper, to have it just right up there at the top so it's always staying fresh in your mind, especially for people who are getting into, say, like a dissertation phase or a uh, master's thesis phase. I've heard it also that it's a good idea to just have it on your wall or something like right in front of mm -hmm. where you're working, like have it taped up to your wall. Because again, this is like the foundational aspect of your of your paper, of your composition that you're writing. And it's the thing that you're always going to have to turn back to and say, this is what I'm arguing for. And it is what all of your lines of argumentation, all of the reasons that you have um, for your for what you're saying is what it's all going to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. You do definitely need to ask, how does whatever information I'm adding into this paper or thesis or dissertation or whatever it is, how is this supporting that main claim? How right. is it supporting some subclaim that is also supporting the main claim? Those are the kinds of questions that should always guide you on whether you should include certain information because the more precise and compact your argument is, the easier it's going to be for people to read and follow your logic. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's such a helpful heuristic to to say like, okay, does this support the thesis? Is mm -hmm. it connected, or is it is it disconnected? And if it's disconnected, 
cut it out. You know, like you don't want to fill your paper with fluff and with unneeded things. And so this is this is a, a really helpful thing to have that thesis in front of you because it's help it's going to help your paper to, you know, to use an analogy here to be like lean and like muscular, basically. Mm-hmm. And it will help yeah. you trim the fat off of it so that it does exactly what it sets out to do and and doesn't do otherwise. Yeah. I mean, one thing to think about is the more fat and fluff you have, the more information you have, the more you're giving somebody a chance to counter your argument. Maybe this is some like inconsequential point that doesn't really support your argument, but they might seize on that and say, I can disregard the rest of this argument because they're wrong in this spot. So you want to give them as little ammunition as possible to take a I don't know, a a hostile view to things, which again, shouldn't be the way we necessarily work, but we do want to be prepared and aware that people might use this paper to try to argue against us. So we want to have only the stuff that really supports our argument and do some other things that we'll talk about in a couple podcasts, like acknowledging other viewpoints or giving uh, warrants and things like that. So that's a little bit of a teaser to what's ahead. And with that, we are going to draw the content of this particular episode to a close. We've talked about the thesis of your paper, the claim that you're making. And what we're going to do next time is we're going to talk about how that claim has to be bolstered by your reasons. Why are you saying the thing? Why are you claiming the thing that you're claiming? Those are called reasons, obviously. And they have to be explicit like your thesis is explicit. And then you have to say, Here are the, here's the evidence for my reasons. So that's a look ahead at our next episode. But for now, we're going to bring our official subject matter to a close. Let's circle back around and talk about the recent past. Kevin, where have you been? Well, uh, sorry, we're a little bit late. No, 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 that's to- not what I meant. I'm oh. sorry. <laughs> that's not what I was getting at. I just meant yeah. it as a joke. Yes. Uh, no, I... I went to Oklahoma about well half a week ago uh, to deal with my uncle's estate. I had mentioned in a previous podcast that he had passed away, um, and which was why we had kind of had this break in recording, which you guys didn't really see because we had all these uh, episodes in the can. But uh, I, I had a really productive trip. But because of uh, COVID-19, coronavirus, all of that, I, when I came back, I had to go into quarantine and our seminary here uh, graciously set up a coronavirus quarantine floor so that we could be away if, uh, like in my case, I have a, a son that's a high risk category because he's got some mild to severe asthma. And so we're trying to protect him. So I'm spending some the next two weeks, well, I'm about four days into it now, but two weeks uh, away from my family to make sure that I have a chance for the coronavirus to reveal itself. Uh, and I'm actually going to get tested uh, by the nasal scrub. Oh, have fun with that tomorrow at uh, about 11 o'clock here. So that's not going to be fun, but uh 
I'm, I just want to do it to make sure that I'm not asymptomatic and uh, pass things on to my family. Well, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're feeling well right now. I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that you're taking this very seriously and that you're doing what you can to protect people around you. I think it's super important mm-hmm. what you're doing. And so I don't want to joke about it or treat it lightly, um, especially that test part. And I hope that, uh, I hope that you, the listener, hope that you're doing all that you can during this COVID-19 time to protect yourself and to protect others and to be wise, mm-hmm. especially as we get to the end of a semester and um, final exams and things like that. I hope you're taking care of yourself. And um, I hope that you have found value in this episode that you've listened to today. If you want to hear all of our episodes, you could do that in a variety of ways. You could head to our website, which is currently at the address survivingseminary2019.podbean.com. Yes, I know it's 2020, but hey, so, you know, give us a break. Or you could head to our Facebook page, Surviving Seminary Podcast, where you can see links to our email. You could send us a direct message right there at our Facebook page, too. And we hope that you would contact us. Like we've said in some previous episodes, this is kind of our home stretch. We're going to bring Surviving Seminary to a close pretty soon. But uh, we're going to leave our episodes, uh, as many as we can anyway, on our website for further access after we are done but we've still got a few episodes left in us until next time have a good one we'll see you later